Funerals are really good reminders to all of us that we stand on the brink of eternity. Life is really short, and one day every single one of us will face death, and every single one of us will face eternity. And our destiny depends on what we decide about Jesus Christ. So in light of that, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. We'll be looking at Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 today. Buying toothpaste has always been a a bit of a problem for me. I walk into the mouth hygiene aisle of Walmart and immediately I feel a bit overwhelmed as I look at the 360 different types of toothpaste to buy. There's a super white kind, the the ultra-brightening type, the one that specializes in killing plaque, the kind with peroxide in it, and the one that you can gargle as mouthwash. There's also many different companies selling these different toothpastes, including Colgate, Crest, Arm & Hammer, and 15 off-brand types that you hope have been approved by the FDA. And as I gaze at all of these toothpastes, I eventually recognize that I must make a decision. I must make a choice. So I usually look for the least expensive one, the off-brand one, but then I get afraid that my teeth might fall off or turn green if I get the cheap one, and so then I get tempted to buy the $20 version, the supreme ultimate kind, as it promises to make my teeth as white as snow. But eventually, nearly every time, I just end up grabbing whatever Crest or Colgate has on sale, and then walking out very quickly, lest I get forever trapped among the mouth hygiene products. (laughs) Choosing which toothpaste to buy may not be that big of a deal, but it's still a decision I have to make. We all make small decisions like that every single day. We choose what kind of shampoo to buy, what to wear, what to make for dinner, what TV show to watch, and when to go to bed. Our lives are also full of much bigger decisions that we're forced to make. We choose whether to go to college or not, what career we want to get into, where we want to live, who we want to marry, and how many kids we want to have. Our lives are chock full of decisions. And as we come to our passage today, we're going to see that there is another decision to make. But this decision... It's not like any other decisions. This choice does not just affect this life, but determines what will happen to you for the rest of eternity. It does not just affect the 80 or 90 years that God might give you on earth. It also determines where we will spend forever. This decision is not just an important decision. This is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And it is a decision 
that Jesus has been building up to in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount sermon in Matthew chapters 5, verse 7 is all about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the kingdom and about the citizens of that kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 16 focuses on the character of kingdom citizens. It shows how followers of the king are people who have recognized their sinfulness and need, have humbly come to God for mercy, and have been transformed from the inside out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, all the way through chapter 7, verse 12, focuses on the conduct of kingdom citizens. It shows how transformed followers of the king are supposed to think, speak, and act. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27, it focuses on the commitment of kingdom citizens. It shows us that true followers of the king will choose to be fully committed to that king. This final section of Jesus' sermon brings a specific application to this message. It pushes his listeners to make a decision. It pushes us to make a decision. We must decide if we want to humbly come to God for mercy. If we want this transformed character and righteous conduct, or if we want to go another way. Those who choose to be committed to God are guaranteed eternal life in God's kingdom. But those who refuse to be committed show that they are actually not true followers of the king and are on the road to eternal destruction. So your, deci your decision, your, your, your choice on this matter is incredibly important. If you make a bad choice about which toothpaste to buy, it's going to be okay. It's no big deal. But if you make the wrong choice about what to be committed to in life, it will affect your eternal destiny. Now Jesus... He wants us to make the right choice. In fact, in the verse that, verses that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus commands us to make the right choice. And as He gives us the command, He explains things in very simple terms. He, he gives us a series of contrasts that help us understand the commitment that's involved in following this King. He tells us there are two choices. Two Gates, two ways, two destinations, and two groups. Understanding what these series of twos mean shows us that there is a decision that needs to be made, a decision that will lead us to the joys of the kingdom of heaven or the horrors of hell. So please look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, as we look at the choice you must make. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, 
And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has power. It has power to change our hearts, to transform us. It informs us what your will is. It shows us what truth is. And I ask, Lord God, that as we walk through this passage, as we look at your word, that we would be changed, that we would be sobered, that we would see how serious this is, and that we would be affected and pushed to make the right choice. We thank you so much for speaking to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you want to better follow along with our sermon today, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. We're going to start our study of this passage by looking at the two choices. Two choices. Jesus starts this section by giving a command. He says, enter by the narrow gate. This is not a helpful tip. This is not a suggestion. This is not a piece of advice. This is also not an invitation. This is not an offer. Jesus is not saying, it would be nice if you did this, or or, uh, you are welcome to do this if you want. No. What Jesus is saying is that you must do this. Jesus is ordering people to do something. He's giving a command. And with this command, there are really only two choices. You can choose to obey Jesus or you can choose to disobey him. Those are the only two choices as we look at this passage of Scripture. Obey or disobey. There are no other choices. You either go through the narrow gate or you don't. Jesus is making it clear to all of us today that there is no neutral ground. There's no sitting on the fence when it comes to following him. Now you might be thinking... Isn't Jesus giving this sermon primarily to his disciples? Isn't he preaching it mainly to the crowds of people who already claim to be his followers? If the people are already his disciples, then why is Jesus saying that they need to make the choice to commit to him? Those are good questions. And the answer is yes. Jesus is indeed preaching his sermon on the mount primarily to his disciples. We see this at the beginning in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, where it says of Jesus, seeing the crowds who went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So Jesus' main audience was the crowd of people who were already claiming to be his disciples. But just because they claimed to be his disciples does not mean they were truly committed to the king. It does not mean they were all true citizens of heaven. Judas was one of Jesus' main disciples, and yet we know that Judas was actually a false disciple who sinfully betrayed Jesus. Jesus also spoke of many people who would hear God's word, would initially seem to follow it, but eventually they would leave Jesus once things got difficult. We see Jesus talking about these people in this parable about the sower. 
In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a, a parable, a symbolic story about a man who sowed and threw his seed into different places. Some of the seed fell on good soil and produced a lot of fruit, but a lot of seed fell on bad soil that produced bad fruit. Jesus explained the parable, saying that the seed represented the word of God and the soils represented the different kinds of people who heard the word. Listen to what Jesus says about the seed that falls onto rocky soil. He says in Matthew 13, verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There will be people who seem to be disciples of Jesus, who initially accept God's word with joy, but when following God's word gets difficult, they abandon God. And they show that they were never true disciples to begin with. We see the same truth talked about in John chapter 6. Jesus had said a, a whole bunch of hard things to his disciples, things that offended many of them. And it says in John 6, verses 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus' hard teaching has exposed many of his disciples to be false disciples, as they abandoned him when they stopped liking what he said. All of this shows us that when Jesus was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, he was preaching to a mixed audience. They all were claiming to be his disciples, but many of them were not true disciples. So after Jesus delivers his message about how kingdom citizens have a transformed character and explains how they are supposed to conduct themselves, he ends his sermon by commanding his audience to enter by the narrow gate. He commands them to fully commit. Jesus gave them a command. The question is, did they want to obey him by becoming a kingdom citizen? Did they want to have a transformed character? Did they actually desire to be righteous in their conduct? Jesus' command backed his listeners into a corner, and it backs every single one of us into the exact same corner. It forces us to do something about this sermon. We cannot just admire the, the, the sermon's amazing ethics. We cannot just agree that this teaching was true. Jesus wants a response. Jesus demands a response. And there's only two ways we can respond. Only two choices. We can either obey Jesus and enter the narrow gate or we can disobey and enter a much different gate. Which brings us to our next point, the two gates. Two gates. <clears throat> Look again with me at Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So there is a wide gate that leads to destruction, and there is a narrow gate that leads to life. Now, though one gate leads to destruction and the other leads to life in heaven, I believe that both of these gates are marked heaven. Meaning, people going through both gates think they are headed to heaven. And I believe you can see that in the context of the sermon. If you look back at Matthew 5, 20, you see Jesus saying, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus exposed the Pharisees' fake, false, external, superficial righteousness and made it clear that his true followers of the king, they had been changed into people who had real righteousness in their life. The Pharisees were were not on their way to the kingdom of heaven. And yet if you look throughout the book of Matthew, you'll find that the Pharisees all thought they were going to heaven. They were going through the wide gate and were headed towards destruction, but they thought that the wide gate was headed to heaven. Also, look with me at Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, just a few verses after our main passage. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus was addressing people who thought that they were headed to heaven. Some people will think that they are following Jesus as their Lord, but since they have not been doing God's will, they will not actually be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. They went through the wide gate towards destruction, and they thought they were on the way to life. So the people going through this wide gate do not all know they are headed to destruction They may actually think they're headed to life. Both the wide gate and the narrow gate are both marked heaven. But only one gate actually goes there. Now the wide gate is referring to an entrance that is broad, spacious. There's plenty of room to make it through this gate. It is a big and obvious gate. It's easily found by everyone. The gate is attractive because anyone can make it through regardless of what they believe or what they do. This gate is broad and big enough for all religions. It's it's enough space for people of all faiths. This gate has no restrictions. It is inclusive, tolerant, open to anyone, no matter what they are believing or how they're acting. You can glory in your pride 
and rejoice in your sin. You could ignore everything Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount and still make it through this gate. Now, this wide gate can at first seem like a very pleasant gate to go through, but it is actually headed straight to destruction. On the other hand, the narrow gate is referring to an entrance that's, that's quite small. This gate is limited in space. It affords very little room. It's, it's very restricting, exclusive. It does not have room for a lot of different beliefs or a variety of religions. As it is a small gate, verse 14 says you have to find it. We see that this gate must be sought out. You have to really look for it as it is not as easily seen as the other gate. Those who go through the narrow gate are on their way to eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, which means they have the beatitudes that were described in Matthew chapter 5. They are poor in spirit, recognizing their own sinfulness and need. They mourn over their sin. They humbly and meekly turn to the God of the Bible for mercy. They genuinely want to have their character transformed by God. And they have a repenting heart that truly desires for their behavior, their conduct, to be righteous. This narrow gate is not just marked heaven. People who enter it will actually enter into heaven. The wide gate... And the narrow gate are very different entrances, and they are connected to very different roads. Which leads us to our next point, the two ways. Two ways. Looking back at our main text again. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Depending on which gate you go through, you will end up on two very different ways. The first way is the easy way. The easy way is broad, just like the wide gate. It's easy to find and stay on this path. In fact, you can believe and do whatever you want and still be on this way. You never have to take any stands for anything. You never have to swim against the culture. And if if there's something you believe and it becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable or unpopular, you can throw it out at any time you want. This way is easy and spacious. As you can be a part of any religious system to be on it. This road makes humans into lords. People get to determine what is right and wrong. You get to define truth. Everything is up to you. And this way is headed towards destruction. It is a pathway that ignores or rejects the Sermon on the Mount. You do not have to admit your sin and need. You do not have to humbly come to God. You do not have to listen or obey Jesus. The easy way, it makes you into God. You get to pretend that you're in charge. 
On the other hand, things are much different on the hard way. The Greek word for hard in this verse has to do with being compressed, being pressed together. It carries the idea of being afflicted, enduring difficulty. Walking this path is hard. And we can see that all throughout Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's really hard to humbly depend on God rather than ourselves. And it's hard to fight against our sinful desires and grow in pursuing righteousness and obedience to God. It's also hard to go through persecution because of what we believe. And Jesus says multiple times in Matthew 5 that true believers, true followers of the King, will go through persecution. Living as a kingdom citizen, living as a Christian, is not an easy road to follow. It is hard. And Jesus was not silent about saying that to everyone. Which means when you and I tell other people about the good news of salvation, we should not tell them that following Jesus makes everything in life easy. When we tell people about following Jesus, we need to be honest and tell them that it is going to make some things much harder in their life. If you're looking for an easy life with no problems, Christianity is not for you. If you're looking for a religion that's going to that's gonna boost your pride, it's going to encourage you to live out your dreams and follow your heart, then Christianity is not for you. Now, God is a loving and caring Heavenly Father to everyone who follows Him. And He does promise to give us peace and to help us through these hard times. But the good news in the Sermon on the Mount is not that you're a great person and that all your bad circumstances will be fixed if you follow Jesus. The good news of the Sermon on the Mount is that God is willing to radically change people's hearts and allow those sinful people who have been transformed to come into His eternal kingdom. The good news is that God is going to transform and save those who humbly come to Him for mercy. Those who are willing to turn to God as their only Savior and King, they will be granted eternal life. And we know from the rest of the book of Matthew that God is able to grant life to people because of His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus who came to earth and became a man who preached the truth and lived a perfect life, and who sacrificed His perfect life to free us from our captivity to sin, who died to pay the penalty for the sins of His people, who rose from the dead and provides mercy and grace to believers. God is willing, and He is able to freely transform believers and give us heaven because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But He's not promised to give us an easy life on earth. The way towards heaven is a hard way. 
We must be willing to humble ourselves and put our complete trust in Jesus. We must be willing to stand for the truth, to strive to grow in righteousness, to submit to God as our king, and to endure pain and persecution because we follow God. If you do not want this hard way, then you're not yet ready to become a Christian. But if you look back at our text, we can see that it is worth it to be on that hard way. It is worth it because of where we're going. Which leads us to our next point, the two destinations. Two destinations. Looking back at Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There are only two choices which involve two gates and two ways which lead to only two destinations. Destruction and life. Those are the only two possible destinations at the end of this, of this earthly life. There's, there's no reincarnation. There's no purgatory. There is only eternal destruction and eternal life. The first destination mentioned is destruction. All of those who enter through the wide gate and who go and travel on the easy way will end up in destruction. Destruction refers to being ruined. It refers to perishing. It is the opposite of getting eternal life. It is called hell in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus talks about this place of destruction all throughout the book of Matthew. In Matthew 8 verse 12, Jesus refers to it as the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Meaning, this is going to be a place that's far away from all that is good, all that is close to God, and will be full of great pain, sadness, and agony. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says to fear Him, who can destroy both soul and body in hell, which means that this place of destruction affects more than your physical body. It involves your soul. And in Matthew 13, 42, it is described by Jesus as a fiery furnace. While chapter 18, verse 8, calls it a place of eternal fire. And probably worst of all, Jesus says of unbelievers in Matthew 25, 46, that they will go away into eternal punishment. This punishment is forever. The fires, they never go out. The pain never goes away. The destruction of the soul continues all throughout eternity. This destination is absolutely horrific. 
And according to Jesus, every single person who enters the wide gate, every single person who travels on the easy road will find this destination of destruction waiting for them. This is why Jesus commands us to enter by the narrow gate. Jesus knows that people receive the most joy if they commit to God. For the other destination leads to life. Life is referring to the abundant and eternal life that is found in the kingdom of heaven. Rather than the destruction that lasts forever, those who enter by the narrow gate and who come by the hard way will find entrance into the joyful life that lasts for all eternity. We will get to experience the comfort, the satisfaction, and a close relationship with God that the beginning of Matthew 5 talks about, but we will experience them perfectly, eternally, with no more sin, no more pain, no more trouble. Matthew 5 and 6 describe how we will receive eternal rewards, treasures that will last forever. Matthew 13 talks about this heavenly life as being more valuable than anything that we can receive here on earth. And Matthew 18 describes it as a place where we have received forgiveness for our sins. We will get to spend this eternal life with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, who lovingly adopted us into His family. This life is open to anyone who is willing to enter through that narrow gate and travel by the hard way. And this wonderful eternal life should motivate us to seek to enter that narrow gate and commit to move through that hard way. It is all worth it in the end. But sadly, there is a, though there is good reason to enter that narrow gate, most people refuse to do so. Which leads us to our final point. The two groups. Two groups. Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There are two different groups that are mentioned in these verses. The many and the few. Jesus is clear that the many are those who enter the wide gate and travel on the easy way that leads to destruction. There are many meaning a large amount, an abundant quantity, a great number of people who are on their way to hell. Most people in this world are going to reject Jesus as their Savior King and are going to spend all eternity being horrifically punished for their sins. That's not a lie. That's not a mean or hateful thing to say. That is what Jesus 
the Lord and Savior, the Son of God, has said to us. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, and any other religious or non-religious group that does not follow the God of the Bible are headed towards eternal destruction. Now, as believers, that should not cause us to be prideful. That should not lead us to look down on others with arrogance. It should break our hearts. It should give us great sorrow knowing that most of the world is headed towards hell and it should push us to pray for people to be saved and it should convict us to tell the people around us about the good news of salvation that can save their soul from hell. For sadly, only a few have entered the narrow gate and are traveling the hard way to eternal life. There are only a few, meaning a small amount, a limited number, a tiny group that is on their way to the kingdom of heaven. The true followers of God have always been small in size. This has been true in the past, and it's true in the present. But if you look at the statistics about world religions, you may at first think this is inaccurate. Though the majority of the world is not Christian, Christianity is still listed as the largest religion in the world. There are between 7 and 8 billion people on earth, and statistics show that 2.5 billion of them are Christians. But that number is massively inaccurate because the people doing the statistics include a huge number of groups that do not actually hold to the true gospel of salvation that's outlined in the Bible. 1.2 billion of that number are Roman Catholics who falsely believe that salvation is partially dependent on you working your way to heaven by good deeds and by receiving sacraments by the Catholic Church. Sixteen million of that number includes Mormons who deny that Jesus is the eternal God and believe humans can become gods. Eight million of that number includes Jehovah's Witnesses who also deny that Jesus is the one eternal God and who wrongly teach that salvation is partially dependent on you doing enough good works. Tens of millions of that number include liberal Christian groups who deny the authority of the Bible and many of whom deny Jesus' physical resurrection or deny that his sacrificial death paid for sins or who promote sinful lifestyles and deny the need for any kind of repentance. And tens of millions of that number also include churches that hold to the heretical health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, a dangerous heresy that makes Christianity a religion of greed and false promises. Now, I say all of this to make the point that true, genuine, biblical Christianity that follows the Scriptures and believes in Jesus as the eternal Son of God, who died for His people's sins, who rose from the dead, and who offers salvation to those who repent and humbly trust in Him alone, that Christianity is very small. 
But again, that small size should not make us proud or make us discouraged. Instead, it should convict our hearts to pray for and evangelize the people around us. It should push us to be a light and should encourage us to tell other people the gospel. When Jesus preached through the Sermon on the Mount, he forced all of his listeners to make a decision. And through the inspired Word of God, Jesus has forced all of us here to make a decision as well. And this decision is very simple. There is a wide gate and an easy way that leads straight to eternal destruction. And there is a narrow gate and a hard way that leads straight to eternal life. You get to decide which gate you go through. You get to decide which road you want to travel on. And your choice will have eternal consequences. So I urge you, to listen to Jesus' command. Obey Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word. God, this passage is hard. And I ask, Lord God, that as we have walked through this passage, that it would sober us, that we would be reminded of this important decision, that we were reminded that this is not just a life or death decision in a physical way, but this is an eternal life or death decision. Help us to be ready, Lord God. I ask, Lord God, that if there's anyone here who has not yet turned to you, that you would convict their hearts, that you'd help them not to think that they can stay on the fence, that you'd help them not to think that they can stand on neutral ground, but you'd help them to recognize that they are either rejecting Jesus or following Jesus. They are either on the hard way or the easy way. I ask that you would change their hearts and that you would lead them to salvation. And I ask, Lord God, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, who have turned to Him and have become fully committed to Him, that you would push us to tell other people about your Son. that we would remember that the people around us are headed to hell. That this is real. This is not something that just happens on Sunday. That this is going to affect eternal destinies. I ask, Lord God, that we would be willing to open our mouths and tell people about the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy the love and the salvation that are found in your Son. And in his name we pray.
Amen.